Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, welcome back to the show, Seahawks fans. It's the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Opsid, sitting down with Keith Myers. We are in our second show of, of the two uh, where we're discussing top 10 players of the Pete Carroll era. We did the offense last show. This show, we'll uh, move on to the defense. This is going to be a fun show. Lots of fun players to talk about, Keith. You're telling me up front, without knowing my list, I don't know your list, but you're saying that there, there could be some differences and it could be close to the top. Yeah, I think there will be, um, to be honest. And not the very top one. I bet we agree on the first one. After that, though, um, I think there's going to be a lot of the same people, but in very different orders. Yeah, it'll be interesting how how we value players. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last time you got to go first. Why don't you go first again? Just because Um, I'm I'm feeling generous. Okay. So at the top of my (laughs) list is Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner, Um, number one. Number Everyone's one. number one. It should be. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, there's other popular players and, and there's been other great uh, players, but Bobby Wagner has been really the the center of that that Seahawk defense from yeah. um, the moment he was drafted. He's been um, great player, played at a high, super high level, been top three in in um, in tackles almost every year in his career. Um, first ballot Hall of Famer because I mean he was a multi-year first team All Pro, um, you know, like seven years in a row or something. I mean there's there yeah. have been very few, if any, that have ever been better than him at his position. And so uh, yeah, yeah, played in uh, 151 games, started 150 of them. Really didn't have injuries until the last uh, last game of the season this year. Um, and then a, a few games missed in 2014. Other than that, he's just been stellar. Um, got an, MVP, just, an MVP vote in 2014 because yeah. of those games that he missed because the defense was bad. He came <laughs> back from injury and they went back to being great um, and just elite. And that garnered enough uh, attention for him to get an MP, MVP vote, something that Russell Wilson has never had. Yeah, that's crazy. Plus, what five, five or six all pro first team all pros? Um, I think it, just, I think it's up know. to seven, but yeah, um, yeah, Pro Bowl just every crazy. year. Crazy 1,383 combined tackles, um, which is just crazy mm-hmm. in eleven seasons. Um, yeah, yeah. There's just no question. He's a Hall of Famer. He's going to be in the Ring of Honor. Um, he's the best defensive player arguably that i think the seahawks have ever had Mm, cortez kennedy will have a lot to say about that um but he's accolade wise i mean he's surpassed everything really yeah i mean we'll see um like i said i know that you love i know you love cortez and i do too i do um if Wagner is not number one, then he's number two. I mean, that's that's the thing as far as defensive players all time in franchise history. And there have been some great 
defensive players in this franchise's history, which will give you an idea of, of where Wagner sits. So um, right. let's go with Let your number two. Yeah. Let the this is where begin. I think I think I'm going to be different from you. So you go ahead and lead mm. it off for number two. Well, after much thought, um, I placed Earl Thomas as number two, a defensive player in the Pete Carroll era, uh, overall on my list for a lot of different reasons, but I think he's the best player um, beyond Bobby Wagner, even though he kind of left, it was a little turbulent, but uh, beyond all of that, if you just look at the play on the field, he affected games more, I think, uh, arguably than even Cam Chancellor. I'm, I'm, I'm saying in the back end, man, that that stuff, the way that that, that the, the entire defense was keyed on his play, um, made made the difference for me. See, this is where I had told you that that right from the top, this is where we're gonna because I have Cam Chancellor as my number two. Now, Earl Thomas has the first team all pros. He's got all of that. Um, and yes, the defensive scheme was kind of built around his ability to do things that only Earl Thomas can do. But the defense really worked because of Cam Chancellor. The way that he was able to just dominate the middle of the field. And nobody wanted to play against Seattle because they didn't want Cam Chancellor to kill them. And the fact that he, you know, wasn't convicted of murder multiple times for some of those <laughs> hits. Um, I mean, he essentially ended vernon davis's career with that hit because the guy was was never the same no um he was we talked about lynch in our last episode being this tone setter that that everybody keyed on cam was that on the defense he was also the captain he was the defensive captain not wagner and wagner took over that role once um you know cam's injury forced him off the field um but cam was the captain not earl not any of the other guys. It was Cam Chancellor. That's why I gave him my number two, despite the fact that Earl Thomas is the more celebrated player. Okay, Earl Thomas is my number three, but yeah, go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. It's because we diverge yet again. So my uh, my two was uh, Earl, and then my number three was Richard Sherman. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to me, so and I put Cam fourth. So we now let's have this debate about these three players, um, because this is this this is a debate. This is a debate that you have with Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, and Cam Chancellor, because all three of those guys are going to be always thought players. as being together. They're the Legion of Boom. Legion um, of Boom, and who affected the team more is basically what we're saying, because it's more of. It, it doesn't necessarily come down to stats. It doesn't necessarily come down to accolades. It comes down to effect. Like what effect did they have on the team? And, uh, and you mentioned a lot of character things. You mentioned a lot of uh, captain, you know, that sort of thing, the hits, the individual plays that Cam Chancellor had that established him as being this larger than life character on that defense that affected games just from a psychological standpoint. And I'm saying that Richard Sherman affected games not only from a psychological standpoint, but he was he was just a freaking amazing uh, defensive back, a cornerback that literally changed the prototype of cornerbacks in the NFL. 
Yeah. Him and him and um, Brandon Brown are, you know, the, the, the first two cornerbacks of the Legion, because that's, you know, Pete Carroll wanted size and length and, and physicality. And it's weird that he's gone away from that, but he has, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, R- Richard Sherman was, was that guy and he's got all those first team all pros and we're debating three um, hall of famers uh, to say, which one was the most hall of fame worthy. Right. Um, and Sherman was, the loudest he was the guy that went on that scorched earth tour um you know after the 2012 season during the off season and um that's the whole like i'm better at life than you uh <laughs> interview and and all of that kind of stuff so he was always out there and super um vocal but when it comes down to there were times when he wouldn't have been on the field if Cam Chancellor hadn't been over there, keeping his keeping Richard Sherman's like emotions in check, so that he could continue to stay focused and play, because there there were multiple times where you saw Sherman walking up and down the sidelines, yelling at anyone, any coach that would listen to him, um, and not focused on football, and it had to be always always Cam that went and talked him off the ledge and got him back out there on the field. Um, and so was Sherman the better individual player? Yeah. But who was more important to the success of the team? I'd still say it was Cam because without Cam, you only get 80% of Richard Sherman. And now here's a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Day Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Interesting. I would have said without Earl Thomas, you would have 80% of Richard Sherman. So I think they, they go together. Well, they, without they, they, go, they just go together. Without Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor Cam Chancellor isn't as dominant a player because Cam had deficiencies in his game. Backwards. That line, going that, backwards. Yes. That Earl Thomas made up for it all the time. Uh, and it allowed Cam to be Cam. And that's part of the reason why Cam was so good. So in reality, you've got all three of these guys that were, they're intertwined. Yeah. That none of them, you know, Sherman was never as good. No, because after he left Seattle because in, Earl Thomas was in the back and he didn't, yep. so he could play more aggressive. 
and part of it was the injury, you know, the Achilles injury that caught, that was, that happened when he left Seattle and all of that. And, and, you know, Cam Chancellor um, had that neck injury and retired, I swear, like five years too early. And then the whole weird exit with Earl Thomas and everything that happened after he left, which was even more bizarre. Um, Kim continues even now. Yeah. There's some yeah. additional stuff in the news lately, but those three were the fabric of what made that yeah. 2013 defense. Yeah. Plus one of the top Bobby defenses Wagner. in NFL history. Yeah. yeah. Plus Bobby Wagner, plus the, the, the players that we're going to talk about here yeah. um, coming up in the next three or four. So um, after Sherman, so, who's your so, next? Well, these get this, this list is now interesting. We're now into the meat and bones of the, of the list. This is kind of where, uh, individual role role players now in some of these great defenses that, that have been in the P. Carroll era, uh, era start to propagate. And my first guy is Michael Bennett. Interesting. Um, I had a feeling he was going to be in this spot for you. Yeah, and and I and I went back and forth between Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, and um, I just felt like Michael Bennett had more of an effect on more games um than than virtually any other player that's remaining that i could have put on this list yeah no i'll give it to i mean he had huge impacts on a lot of games i think he was also very vocal and it was very easy for media members to focus on him because he would always give an interview and always do those things and he was out in front of the camera and and riding a police officer's bicycle after a playoff game and um you know those kind of things but when it comes down to like actual stats and what they do and whatever cliff averill was never in front of a camera he was never a guy that that wanted attention he just went out and produced yeah. and he was very consistent in that production um he was, was a that, turnover generating machine too he knew how yeah. to punch out footballs better than almost anybody in the league he was for he was years. a strip, strip sack master um and that's why it was and it was that it was the fumbles that he created that put cliff averill as my next one which i thought i would get pushback um from you on because i'm putting him over a lot of mm -hmm. other really mm -hmm. important players mm -hmm. but he was far better than i think a lot of people realize because he I agree. didn't want attention yeah he, he just went out and that. did his job you and know he did it really, really as, a, well. as a leo you know he just yeah. was he just was excellent at it he just was um and the team's still looking for that replacement um to the point where they've changed defenses because they haven't been able to find it isn't that interesting yeah yeah okay so who's your number seven or who's um, your number six i should, my, should say so you had michael bennett and cliff averill no, I had Only Cliff Averill, and then I had a someone else before I get oh, to okay. Michael Bennett. Okay, KJ Wright. Yeah, yeah, he's number <clears throat> my number seven. So I have these. I have Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, and KJ Wright all together. Yeah. So okay. So I guess we are a group. Um, I put Cliff Averill first, KJ second. Um, you know, KJ Wright's ability to sniff out a screen is legendary. <laughs> right. Um, and teams just stopped trying to throw screens against seattle because kg was always right there to shut it down he was so good he was never the most athletic guy um you know that was the, the rub on him coming out of college but you couldn't get him off the field he was too good he was 
just the perfect complement to Bobby Wagner um, there in the middle. And um, they did some, they were a fantastic duo. How do you um, think history will look at KJ Wright for the, the franchise, whether it's on the Ring of Honor or um, do you think he's going to have a hard time getting up there? Is he just fall sh- short? Ring team, um, Ring of Honor. I think he belongs. Um, I do any, too. Anything else, like he's not going to get there um, because he's always going to be seen as Bobby Wagner's. Like he's Robin to, mm-hmm. to Bobby Wagner's um, Batman, and nobody cares about Robin, right? Um, but he but, was. But it could be worse. Instru- yeah, he was instrumental in those great defenses. He really was such an important part there in the middle and um yeah i mean that's why he's where i am on my list he's above michael bennett so you I, had cliff Averill at important. five kj Wright at six and michael bennett at seven yes yeah and to, to me, me those are really close depending on how you view uh the importance of those positions uh for your defense and all and you add up all the you know the little things and so forth but i agree i mean all three of those players were instrumental extremely fun to watch um kj Wright has always been labeled as underrated and he went out of the league essentially as just being underrated mm-hmm. um and it'll always be viewed i think that way a little bit and th- just because of bobby wagner's presence one of the things that um when he left Seattle because they, you know, his contract ended, they didn't cut or anything. Seattle said, you know, they, they didn't want to bring him back because they were moving to this bare front mm-hmm. and, and needed additional speed and, and wanted to go do some different things on defense. Um, he left and went to Oakland and Oakland their off the field was such a disaster with John Gruden getting fired and, and all those other stuff. There's just drama, drama, drama. Not, not even Oakland. It's in Vegas. Um, but it was all this crazy that happened. It was the Raiders. Um, and there were two people who were credited for keeping that locker room together so they could continue to play good football and make the playoffs. And it was Carr on offense and KJ Wright on defense. And so this was this guy that just joined the team right at the start of training camp and whatever ended up being the glue that held that team together which tells you a lot about the type of person KJ Wright is I agree. and why I think that he deserves to, if he ever, if he decides that he's done, the Seahawks need to sign him to a, like the one day contract and let him retire as a Seahawk. He deserves it. And he deserves to be in the ring of honor. All right. When is this list going to get interesting, Keith? Come on. Now we've had the same players now through seven. We've just had a mix up in order. Yeah, is this the point on the order? <clears throat> is this the point? Yes, because I think I've got a player, my next one that you won't even have on your list in your top 10. All right. Who is it? Bruce Irvin. Wow. I don't have Bruce on even my uh my makeup list. My my after the show five. He's not even on, on that list. That's interesting. Um Bruce Irvin is unheralded because he was drafted to be Cliff Averill and he wasn't going to be Cliff Averill. He didn't have, he didn't have the right makeup, right body type. He had the speed, but not much else or instincts. Um, so the team moved him to outside linebacker 
and made him do a lot of things. He would set the edge against offensive tackles and get up and, and make plays. He had to cover. He had to rush the passer. He would do, he was this jack of all trades that did everything. And they have essentially, since he left, had a revolving door of players trying to mimic what Bruce Irvin did and fail at it. Why did they let him leave them? Money. He got paid way more than the team could give him. They, this was when the team was trying to pay Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Michael Bennett and and give these guys that next contract, and they everyone wanted a pay raise. Somebody had to go. And Bruce Irvin was let go. Um, and all he did was go on and be good elsewhere. So uh, eventually he came back for, you know, part of a season and, and had some injury issues and that never really worked out either. But um, he became a prototype that this team has been looking for and has not been able to find since the day he left to the point where now they're changing the defense. So they don't need to try and find another Bruce servant. Interesting. Yeah. Or Cliff Amor. Yeah. I mean, um, really, it comes down to those two guys. You can't, they, they just have not found that guy. And so they're like, we got to do something different because there are no other Cliff Averill and Bruce Irvins out there. And that's why I think he belongs on this list because he was impactful in the way the defense was built, the way that it performed, and then what the team looked for in players after he left. Yeah. Well, here's one of them. I mean, and, and this guy is in the pile more on the Michael Bennett side. And I've, I put uh, Frank Clark as my number eight overall player um, just because uh, they drafted him to kind of replace those guys. And I thought that he initially struggled in that role and then really excelled in that role um, to the point where the team couldn't afford to, to keep him um, mm -hmm. because he just outperformed uh, expectations. And I, I don't know, I think mentally, I don't think that he was the right fit uh, for Pete Carroll. For some reason, there was some con conflict there where it was a maturity level or something, but they didn't. I don't think that they necessarily, the argument was at the time that John Schneider didn't want to pay uh, a rush defensive end top end money. And I don't think that that was necessarily the case. I think it was specific to, um, specific to Frank Clark. Frank Clark. And, you know, he went on to Kansas City and had a couple of really good years and then has had a couple of bad years. And, yeah. Um, and some off-field stuff. A lots of off-field stuff. And I think that's where the Seahawks got scared off from him. His on-field performance was was a very good. He was It was a short time in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, and he did not make my list. Um, in part just because I felt that was he better at what he did than Michael Bennett? No, no, Michael but Bennett was one year. Michael, I, I will say this the year where he had like 12 sacks and a whole bunch of tackles for loss and a whole bunch of quarterback hits beyond that. Man, that year was pretty special. I'll, I'm, I'm gonna, I will say that that, that yeah. may have outperformed anything that Michael Bennett did in he one had, single season. He yeah. had he had one special year, two good like two good years, and mm -hmm. one he was a rookie and trying to figure yes, out the NFL. Correct. 
Um, and that was his Seahawk tenure, whereas Michael Bennett was here for a, a much longer period of time. And with the exception of maybe that one year, was better than Frank Clark during all of that. So he was drafted to replace Michael Bennett and never really did. Yep. I agree. Um, and all right. Um, so who is your number eight? Um, or, or we talk about that already. Yeah, we already. Um, so we're on to Brandon Mebane as my number nine. Number nine, Brandon Mebane. Yeah, yep. he made my just missed list. Oh, I have a that's a, that that hurts me. Um, that he wouldn't make your list, but well, he's number eleven. <clears throat> okay, I'll give you that. Um, no, Mebane was the guy in the middle. Um, just and and so let's talk about Mebane. Like, what was his era? Like, he was a previous player before Pete Carroll landed. Oh there, right? yeah. He was, he was drafted during the Mike Holmgren years. Um, was here through, uh, Mora into Pete Carroll and even through that first phase of, okay. You know, the, there was, there were, there were some players that, you know, either carried over or came in right when Pete Carroll did that only lasted a couple of years and then we're on it. And me continued to stick around into the, the middle parts of the, um, the Pete Carroll era. And then finally just, again, it was, this team was getting progressively more expensive to keep together because there were just so many good players and they ended up having to let some of them go. Um, and all me, me Bane did was move on and be great elsewhere. Um, to the Chargers. Yep. Yeah. Not a, not a guy that, um, you know, he's not flashy. He's just really good. Yeah. Although when he did get a sack, which he would, he would get a few, <laughs> the, the, the belly roll is like, um, yeah. God, it's like famous now. Like you see other people mimic him like doing that. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy, but, but fun. So, um, no, I agree yeah. that he needed to be on this list. I just, I just, the next two players I'm going to talk about, and you're going to have a problem with one of them. Probably. Um, I, I put ahead of him. And not okay. because of the length of, of time that he overall played here. I think I'm talking about specifically the time that he played under Pete Carroll. Okay. That's the way I kind of viewed it. So my okay. number nine is Quandary Diggs. Quandary Diggs came here as an unheralded player. Um, he, he was he performed great with the with the Lions, but they let him go. They they made him available. Uh, the Seahawks for a fifth round pick for a fifth round pick. He's a Pro Bowl level guy, um, but he and and then he came here and he proved that again that he is. And he he ended up. I think he's led the, the team in interceptions over the last three three years. Um, and he's kind of the quarterback of the defense, especially now with. Bobby Wagner gone. I mean, you might say Jordan Brooks is there, but um, Pondre Diggs does everything on the back end that you could ask um, that's not named Earl Thomas. And um, I think that that he deserves to be on this list. He almost didn't make my list of my honorable mentions. He's my 15th guy out of 15. Fair. Because I have ten, and then I, I, I oh, these guys, guys, these I guys, yeah, there's six or seven players here that I think are interchangeable. Yeah, we'll, and we'll he almost that. didn't. He almost didn't make it. Um, not that any of the things that you said were wrong. I just have other guys on this list that I think were more impactful to the team um, over the tenure of Pete Carroll's um, time. Now that All may right. that may be different three years from now when when Quandre Diggs is still playing here. Just saying, as of right now. 
So who are your, is, did you have a nine or a 10? Um, my nine was me, Bane. We already talked about my number 10 was Chris Clemens. Um, Chris is number 12 on my list. Chris Clemens, um, one of the first moves that Pete Carroll made when he got into town was he traded um, some one. I can't even remember uh, his Tapp, name. Yeah. Daryl Tapp. Daryl Tapp. Um, for who was, you know, this young, thought to be a rising pass rusher for this unknown outside linebacker that's way undersized, but they're going to have to play him. They're playing him at defensive end. And what is he doing? And this became. Like this I have to admit of, that 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 trade initially was the the weirdest thing. I just thought it was just kind of a weird thing because Daryl Tapp <clears throat> had yet kind of to prove himself. He'd kind of been here, but he really hadn't had an opportunity yet to fully, you know, start or be the guy. And and they trade this high upside guy at the time. I thought was kind of an upside guy for this guy Chris Clemens. That was like it just seemed weird because Chris Clemens really didn't seem like he'd done much prior. And then how are they going to use him here? He's really undersized. Doesn't really fit. Go ahead. Keith. No, I was going to say instead he became the focal point of the scheme as they were drawing it up with the elephant side and the Leo side, right? The Leo being this seven tech slash nine tech outside linebacker slash defensive end um that became right it became the talking point about what seattle's defense is at least on the front part um it became about that position and it became about chris clemens and all he did was come in and show that you can use angles and attack angles to set an edge even when you're not large and with speed and technique, you could line up at the nine tech way outside and get to the quarterback over and over and over again. And teams just didn't have an answer for him. Um, and he was, he changed a lot of what the NFL looked for. There were, no one had heard of a Leo before Pete Carroll came to Seattle. And all of a sudden the draft community was full of, <laughs> right? is this guy a Leo? Is he not a Leo? He's, does he have to play on a linebacker? Can you move him to a Leo spot? Right. Um, the, it became the talk of the draft and everything is who's going to be, you know, this team's Leo, this team, they, this team needs a Leo, whatever. Um, that was all from Chris Clemens. And he got to do that for three years in mm-hmm. Seattle, which was, doesn't that long right. um, before you know, he got let go because they already had Cliff Averill there. And, you know, again, finances. Um, and he just went on and was good for a couple more years elsewhere and then decided he was done. So, um, but yeah, he really just changed uh, the vernacular of what defenses are and look for. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So my number 10 is Jamal Adams. And this is, this is the the one that's controversial over like a Brandon Meebane or somebody. Because Jamal Adams hasn't done really anything yet. And uh, he had one that one great production year with, with the sacks, and that's why he's on my list. Because that one year, you mentioned the fact that he changed everything about the position. And he kind of did that. He set the all-time sack record for a defensive back. How many sacks did he have the following year? 
They used him in way he had nine to, to set the record. They used him. In, he didn't even have a quarterback hit. I don't think the second he year. did not even have a quarterback hit the so the, year. So he didn't the, really change much, did he? Well, yeah. Go ask. Go have a conversation with Ken Norton. But the it's interesting because I I this this pick on here for me is almost just potential. It's not. It's just one of those things where it doesn't necessarily line up with reality, but I figured I needed to have him on this list because I do believe that he's worthy of being in the conversation as a top 10 defensive player overall in Pete Carroll's era. Didn't make my top 15. And so didn't make my honorable mention list. So there we go. Told you it was controversial. (laughs) <laughs> Brandon Meebane and Chris Clemens were next on my so 11 and 12. We're, we're done with our list, by the way. Now we're yep. getting on to into the weeds a little bit, but that's okay. Um, so I've got three players remaining on my on my after the show mention list. I have um I have four that we so have not talked you, about. Why don't you go? Um my number eleven is Puna Ford. I've got has, him at has, 13. Who has been Brandon Meebane since Brandon Meebane left. Um, it's just, I mean, essentially just plug and play. He's the same guy. Um, minus the belly rolls. Um, uh, Reed. Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed. Um, I've got him as 15. I got him as, him at 12. Um, his ability to get pressure on the inside was very inconsistent. He did not was not as good against the run as he needed to be, all of that. But he still got pressure up the middle um, often enough to impact games. Um, Brandon Browner is wow. my number 13. No, um, we, di- we diverge here. Yeah. I, Brandon Browner was awful for the first like five games that he was a Seahawk. And then he became a pro bowler. Um, and Which is crazy. And, and I think he, it was just, and, and quite honestly, I'll disagree with you here. I just think that that was a situational situation by by the circumstances that he found himself surrounded by all these Hall of Fame players. I don't know. I don't um, know. I don't know, man, because he never duplicated it again, never even came close. Um, well, he did go to um, New England and win a title with them in part because well, Jermaine Kurtz, yeah, he helped do them job diagnose, and block. They help, he helped them diagnose Seattle's offense. Yeah, um, but you know he he was a difference maker in that game. He shut down. Um, uh, was it Williams who had that massive first half and then did got exactly zero mm-hmm. afterward because they switched who was covering on him and then he. he he is. It was a large reason why Seattle didn't win that second Super Bowl because he wasn't there. But he was. He was at, like Sherman. He was transformational in terms of what was allowed to be a cornerback. Um, he was six four, like two thirty. No one. There never been cornerbacks that size since like the seventies. And he showed he could play and he could do it. And he got to have the right system and all that kind of stuff. But, um. He was a so really out, important part to the initial part of the Legion of Boom. Out of the 15, you only have two current players. Is that correct? Out of, and one in the top 10? Um, I have Puna Ford and... 
Quandre Diggs? Or did Diggs not make your list? Qua- Quandre Diggs is my 15th. So yeah. I, have two, I, have, I have none in the top 10 and two in my honorable mentions. Interesting. I've got Jordan Brooks as my 14th yeah. player. Um, I, just because uh, I thought about what, he, what he did last year. His rookie campaign was was okay, but last year he set the the record for uh, the franchise record for tackles, led the league in tackles, and um, looks like he's just on his way to being mm-hmm. the next great defensive player for Seattle. So I figured he needed to be in the conversation anyway. He was he would have been my number sixteen with Frank Clark being my number seventeen because um, I, I just. I want to see it for one more year. He's had two years. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's continue to watch it. Notice I'm down to 17 and I still haven't got to Jamal <laughs> Adams. Right. I know. What a disappointment. I have to say, I agree with you. I, you know, He's, it's just one of those things. And so much of that has to do with Ken Norton Jr. And injury. True. But a lot of it has to do with Ken Norton Jr. Um, if Ken Norton Jr. would have done anything like competently we would probably have a different um mm-hmm. attitude around well I, I know the little player. i know the little snippy little comment you made about what did he have the year after he had the nine sacks yeah and, and like, it's oh, like it and tr- i said go go talk to ken norton and yeah. that's tr- it's true it's well, like it wasn't anything it was, jamal it wasn't it anything was, jamal did no no you, but you were just saying it was transformational. It changed how we did how teams did stuff, except for that it didn't because the next year they didn't do any of that. I know. It was transformational so, for just I'm that so one dis- season. I'm so disappointed. Yeah. Because I think that's truly Jamal Adams' role in the NFL, to be completely honest. He's got the shoulder thing he's trying to protect. He's not going to ever be an edge setting kind of a strong safety. He's never going to be that overwhelming, dominant physical force. You know, even though he's 210 pounds, 212 pounds, six foot, he's just not, he's, he wants to be physical. He wants to be that player, but from now on, and, and even in the past, he's protected his shoulders. And now, now with two surgeries, he's going to be making some business decisions and he's got his contract. And so I don't know how they're going to use him. They're pretty excited. I mean, when you listen to Desai and, and Carl Scott, they're pretty excited about having a player like Jamal. I just don't know how they're going to use him if it's beyond a traditional strong safety role. Yeah, I, using him as a deep um, safety the way Ken Norton did for much of last year is a waste of his talent. Um, asking him to be a strong safety that doesn't play in the box and you know, do the stuff that he likes to do is a waste of his talents. But asking him to do those things says you're only going to play 12 games a year because you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Because his body isn't holding up to that style of play. So are they, like, I know they're excited because he's a special athlete. And there's a reason why he was a first team all pro before Seattle traded for him. And then even he was a, I think it was a second team all pro um, after one year with Seattle because of all the sacks, but they're not getting value from what they traded and what they're paying him. They're not getting enough out of that money. And so they're really at a spot where this is 
he could be looking at his last year in Seattle this year, unless he has a big year, because they're getting to the point in his contract where they can get out from underneath it. And I could see them wanting to. I agree. I agree. But even with all that said, I think he's a top in the conversation as a top 10 talent for the last 10, 12 years. I just, he's that special. I just, I, if he can stay healthy, um, you know, and some of that's luck and, you know, just hitting guys the right way and all that kind of stuff. And maybe he works on some technique stuff that can help him overcome some of that, you know, jarring shoulder stuff. If he wraps up, you know, tacklers, instead of trying to hit them with his shoulder, leading with his shoulder, maybe he can lengthen mm-hmm. his career. But yeah, that's why I see them using him more as a, as a guy that they, they blitz in blitz packages and so forth instead of maybe Jordan Brooks, maybe they drop Jordan Brooks back into coverage or Cody Barton more. If they leave Cody Barton in there. Um, and well, the, then, team, the team seems to want Cody Barton in there there. And maybe, uh, maybe they, they were, leave Cody in there and they bring Jordan Brooks out, they which were, I think they were, would be a mistake. No, they would leave both of them in there. And um, not have Jamal in there at all as a dime. No, you could have all three of them. Well, I, I, when you're playing your nickel, yeah, you'd have all of them. Um, when you when you go to the dime and you pull out pull out another linebacker, then yeah, you you probably um, either pull Barton or you move Brooks up to a de- defensive end um, and leave Barton in. Um, I'm just wondering where Jamal Adams fits in this new in this scheme in this three four thing that they they're going to do. I mean, is is I just don't know. Yeah, um, I agree. I we'll see, but they're the contract they gave him dictates that he's going to be on this roster. Yeah, um, and we know, and you know that they traded for him. They gave up what they did. They paid him what they did because he can be a difference maker. He can be a tilt the field kind of guy. He was a first team all pro before joining Seattle and he's still young. My problem, my problem is Keith is that this defense dictates a lot of, a lot of too high safety dropbacks and, and he's one of them. So to me, and from what I've heard Carl Scott say, he thinks that Diggs and Adams are interchangeable. "Quote unquote," interchangeable on the back well, end. Well, <clears throat> they're interchangeable in that at, um, Diggs can come up and play strong safety. We saw that at the end of the year. Yeah, but I don't think that's what he was saying. We saw that at the end of the year when he did come up and play strong safety, and Ugo Amadi had to be the free safety. Um, but asking Adams to drop back and do the stuff that Quandre Diggs does on the back end is asking for failure. Well, as a single high guy, I agree. But if in, in a too high situation, maybe Jamal Adams plays better in that. We saw that last year. It didn't work. Yeah. We saw a lot of that in the first half of the season last year. It didn't work. Interesting. So. I don't know. Anyway, we're getting off. Yeah, off we are. The, off the range now. So fun show. Fun show. Bobby Wagner, number one. On the other side, Russell Wilson. That's the way yep. it's going to be for a while. Those, those, two names, time. those two names are going to be entrenched as the best players Seattle's had in a long time, I think. Yeah, they are. Um, you're, yeah, you have to go back to um, you know, Cortez Kennedy, who played in the early 90s. Um, 
and uh, Steve Largent, who joined mm-hmm. the team when they and Walter um, Jones, formed. Poss- possibly. Oh yeah, well, okay, Walter Jones. That's a good one too. But yeah, again, the guy that uh, played into the early nineties, and yeah. you know, it's been a while uh, since the team has had that caliber of player. Yeah, and now they're both gone. Yeah, interesting. All right, let's get out of here. We're going to do a whole bunch of shows between now and training camp that um, are just kind of obscure, uh, move the season along. We're going to have a question and answer show as we do every year that revolves on some uh, some beer tasting. That'll be fun. We'll have to work out exactly the parameters of that this year. Last year, it was uh, I think it was required that we try beers that we've never had before or something like that. We did IPAs last year, didn't IPAs, we? yeah. Yeah, we did. And as a matter of fact, we did hazy uh what is that Uh, new england style new england style and then west coast style which is the clear stuff is uh, okay and um so this year maybe we maybe we do something completely off the rails i don't know i don't know we have we'll have to decide that we'll have to decide that yeah i've got some weird off the rails um beers for us to try but i don't know how i'm going to get them to you because i know right shipping alcohol across state lines is sort of illegal so um i was thinking i you know we have i i sent you a list of uh some some topic ideas and uh we're fairly well set for the next uh, few weeks but i thought maybe we'd have an early 53-man roster projection show too just for some fun just before training camp starts yeah maybe yeah and see how that <laughs> lines up with the with the real roster at the end of camp um okay so let's get out of here Find Keith on Twitter at Mars NFL. You can find me at MWC Hawk. Find the show, favorite podcast app, uh, YouTube, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until next time. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.